love you. We'll miss you. Be good. See you in a couple days. Bye. Bye. Well, there they go. Aren't grandparents the greatest? Oh, only grandparents would not only volunteer, but actually want to take the kids camping. Do you think they'll be okay? The kids will be fine. No, I meant your folks. Oh, don't worry about them. They're survivors. <laughs> but hey, enough talking about grandparents and children. We've got better things to talk about. A whole weekend to ourselves. How long has it been? Too long. I'll get the lights. And I'll turn on the music. Meet you at the couch in 15 seconds. You've got a date. Oh, a whole weekend. No. Oh. This is going to be great. No kids. No work. Just you and me and love. And a weekend of non-stop passion. Yoo-hoo, anyone home? Oh no, not again. Why can't they leave us alone? I hope you're decent because they're coming in. Oh, quick, get the music. All right, let's hide. Here we come. All right, you two, where are you? We saw your lights on. We know you're here somewhere. Come out, come out, wherever you are. Just wait till you see what we brought. <laughs> You're gonna be tickled pink. <laughs> we got Scrabble and Candyland. And we brought Monopoly. Oh, Charlie, look who I found. <laughs> oh, oh look at on. this. <laughs> found us again. <laughs> You're just too good for us. <laughs> you crack me up. And I thought Manny and I like to play games, but you two take the cake. <laughs> I just love coming over and seeing what new hiding places you two have come up with. <laughs> I must say, though, behind the couch, you can do better than that. My, my favorite was the crawl space. Remember that? That took what? Um, Almost two hours. Two hours. Oh, boy. That was a good day. Wasn't that fun? Oh, oh don't forget the attic. Oh, oh. that was so awesome. Uh, so, what brings you guys here today? Oh, luckily for you, we happened to be standing outside when we saw your parents sleep with your folks, suitcases and all. <laughs> you saw that, did you? Yes. Charlie and I had the same thought. Poor Linda and Greg stuck at home with just each other. Oh. But have no fear. Good old Chuck and Mandy are here. Oh. Just look at what we brought for you. Every game we could carry over plus a wagon load more at the door. <laughs> we have Twisty Rolls, Little Debbies, we have Red Bull, we have Rockstar, Hershey Bars. We have ice cream, Pudding Pops. So, how long are the kids gone for? Oh, just a couple of days. <laughs> well then, we are going to dedicate ourselves to you two for the next two days or longer, if necessary. Yeah. But, but, but what about your kids? <gasps> yeah. Didn't I tell you? They're gone for the weekend at my sister's. <laughs> Isn't that a coincidence? Huh? <laughs> and don't you two worry about making up the beds, because we brought our own sleeping bags. <gasps> You're going to sleep here? Yes! Oh! <laughs> and won't it be fun? A summer party? Just like we were kids! Yes! <laughs> Look, guys, this is really 
really not necessary. <laughs> you see, we've been alone before. Oh, believe yes, it or not. so have we. Uh, and we said, never again. Mandy and I were bored to tears. Uh, I mean, what's there to do with just you and your wife? Well, well it's obvious we thought of something. Well, that's the last thing they need is another kid running around the house. It was your idea to go away for the weekend. Oh, here she goes again. It's my fault. I swear, if this woman ever took responsibility for anything, it'd be a miracle. Just between you and me, I think she knows the meaning of the word. <laughs> you know, maybe this isn't such a good idea. Yeah. Getting together and all. Oh, are you kidding me? This is exactly why we're doing it. The last thing we want to see is you two upset like Manny and I. Come on, Greg, let's go get all the rest of that stuff. Yeah, sure. I tell you, sometimes I could just strangle that man. I don't know the meaning of responsibility. Can you believe he said that? Uh, well... He can be so cruel. He's no regard for my feelings whatsoever. And it isn't just him. There's my mother. Boy, I can't do anything right in her eyes. No matter what I do. I'm not good enough. She just never lets up. You know what that's like, don't you? Uh, well, I don't. Oh, oh, what a relief to have the kids gone for the weekend. Yeah. Um, oh, I get to do what I want for a change. Isn't that a great feeling? Well. Oh, Linda, you're something else. You know that? I am? You have such a way with people. You know just what to say to make them feel better. It's a wonder you're my best friend. That, that we're best friends. We are, aren't we? Uh, uh, sure. Oh, Linda, look, here come the boys. I have nothing to say to Charlie right now. <laughs> well, you get my drift, right, Greg? Yeah, I guess. Oh, good, they're gone. Anyways, like I was saying, it's not easy having to do everything. I work 12 hours a day, then I have to come home and do all the work around the house. You know what I'm saying. Uh, well. And don't even get me started. Everyone and everything is a hassle. My wife gives me grief. My boss gives me grief. Even my kids and dog give me grief. <laughs> but I don't have to spell it out to you. You're a man. You know what I'm talking about, don't you, Greg? Well, I... And you would not believe what Mandy brought home the other day. One of those Hawaiian-style shirts. Can you believe it? <sighs> now I'm going to look like Pastor Kurt. <laughs> Take a guess at how much it costs. Uh, come on, I don't Ryan, know. take a guess. I don't know. Oh, come on, buddy, take a guess how much it costs. I don't know, five bucks. Five bucks? What kind of guess is that? It costs $15.99. Some bargain shopper she is, huh? Uh, well. You know what, Greg? Don't take this wrong, but I really like talking to you. You have a right way of looking at things. You're a good friend. My best friend. Aw, <laughs> uh, thanks. Oh, good, you're back. Yeah, here we are. Is Mandy in the kitchen? Oh, uh, yeah, she's making the drinks. I guess I better go help her out, you know, make her day. Well? Well? What should we do? I say we shoot them both and get them out of our lives. Oh, honey, they mean well. They do not. They're the most disrespectful people I've ever met. Yeah, I suppose you're right. So what do you say? We get out of here. Just leave? Yes, now, before they come out of the kitchen. And go where? Who cares? Anywhere. A hotel? I just want to be alone. Remember, this was supposed to be our weekend of non-stop, non -stop passionate... Let's get out of here! 
here. All right, let's go. All right, everybody. I got drinks for everyone. Where, where'd they go? I don't know. <laughs> I got the uh, cross mace. I'll get the other. Oh, ready or not, here, here we come. come. Marco. I seriously thought about wearing a Hawaiian shirt today. I really did. <laughs> They're coming. I just refused to do it while it's sub-freezing. But anyhow, uh, most of us have probably had a relationship in our lives at some point that uh, a little like that, dysfunctional, not the way you would hope it to be, not what you would expect. And hopefully you're not the Chuck and Mandy. You've got Chuck and Mandy in your life, but you're not the ones that are like that. But most of us, again, at some point in our experience have had uh, struggles with people, struggles with relationship. And all of us have had relationships that are dysfunctional. It's just part of living on planet Earth. We've all had people in our lives that drive us nuts, and we really would like to just shoot them. That's not an option, as you know, and it's not really an option to probably change them either. The truth is not everybody's going to change just because we want them to. That being said, there are some things that we can do, and what I want to focus on today is what you and I can do. We can't change the Chuck and Mandy's, but focus on some things that we can do to have healthy relationships and some things that we can do, uh, we can do to avoid becoming the friends that people hide from. I uh, was talking with a junior high kid this last week and uh, was reminded of some experiences that I had in junior high. And it was a long time ago in a far, far away place. But I remember being in seventh grade in St. Louis, Missouri. In social studies, I had a very radical teacher. It was back a long time ago. And, and he would actually make banners and posters with us, and we'd go out and march around the campus with this guy. He was quite liberal and quite radical. But I remember what, it, sitting in his class one day when it dawned on me that not everybody liked me. In fact, some people avoided me like I had the plague, and one girl in particular who had the hots for really avoided me. And I remember sitting in that class thinking, this isn't right. I'm cool. Why don't people like me? Now, that's what can be a devastating revelation for a seventh grader. The truth is, though, um, even as adults, we still struggle sometimes with wanting to be accepted, and it can be a hard reality to swallow. My mom told me something uh, then. She could tell I was going through a hard time. And she told, told me something then that I've never forgotten. She said, honey, you can't control others, and you're not responsible for them. True. You cannot control others, so, though we try at times, and we're not responsible for them. All you can do, she said, is be responsible for you, and you can make the choices to treat people the way they should be treated. Well, she was right, and she taught me some lessons that day that I've never forgotten. And I want to focus today how to avoid relational dysfunction. Now, there are books, literally books written about this, lots of things we could uh, talk about. I'm going to focus on just three things today, three what I think are the most important ways to avoid relational dysfunction. And here's the first one. Number one, if you're taking notes, treat others even better than the way you treat yourself. Treat others even better than the way you treat yourselves. Now, this is referred to as the golden rule. And most of us probably learned that as a child. We've heard it from many people. Maybe you didn't know this, that Jesus himself is the one who taught this golden rule. It comes from the Bible. But it's, it's, it's a clear teaching that Jesus meant for us to understand and embrace. But the truth is, it goes completely against our human nature. It goes completely against who we are. Our typical and normal reaction to being hurt or being, being mistreated is to hurt back. You mess with me and I'm going to mess with you. You hit me, and I'm going to hit you harder. You throw a rock at me, I'm going to drop a building on you. You say something bad about me, 
And just wait till I get home and get on Facebook. I'm going to reveal every deep, dark secret I know about you. That's our normal human reaction. When we get wounded, everything in us wants to strike back. And you know what they say about paybacks. Now, I don't because I'm a preacher, but you guys do. You know what they, <laughs> what they say about paybacks. It's our human nature, but it only leads to relational brokenness and dysfunction, which is why Jesus gave us a different way to live. And he taught something that when he taught it, it was radical, completely going against the stream of the culture he lived in. Here's a little insight. It goes completely against the culture we live in today. Luke chapter 6, verse 27 to 33. Jesus said, but to you who are willing to listen, meaning, do you have ears to hear? Are you listening? I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. And everybody listening to that would have gone on tilt. What? Wait a time out. That's not the way it's supposed to be. Jesus said, if you're willing to listen, if you have ears to hear, I'm telling you, love your enemies. In fact, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. That's a tough thing to do, but that's what Jesus calls us to. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks, and when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. And here's the golden rule right in verse 31, taught by Jesus. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. Verse 32, if you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. If you love those who love you, no big deal. If you're good to those who are good to you, that's, that doesn't really give you a lot of a credit. But Jesus is saying, I want you to live a different way. Don't hate when you're hated. Don't curse when you're cursed. Don't hit when you're hit. Don't spit on when you're spat on. In fact, just the opposite. Love them. I want to bring this home for most of us because I, I want you to dial up an experience perhaps you're in right now, one you've had not too long ago with someone, maybe somebody you work with, and they are irresponsible, lazy, they don't pull their weight, they don't do their job, they're always cutting corners, they're never reliable, you, you call them, they don't return your calls, you try to get something from them, you never get it back, they're just really, really irresponsible, difficult people. Or think about the boss that you maybe have or have had who's mean, terribly mean, and harsh with you. I'm pretty sure that the boss I had in college will one day be revealed as the Antichrist. I'm, I'm, I'm sure of that. Worked for him from 16 to 19, and just one of the meanest guys I've ever known in my life. Well, think about those relationships, those trying, challenging, struggling relationships, and listen to what Jesus said. He said, bless, pray for, give, serve, in fact, love. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you, even when they don't deserve it, even when they deserve a lot worse. The golden rule really is golden, and it truly is radical, but it is a relational way to live. It's not easy, but it's the way Jesus taught us to live and one way to avoid relational dysfunction. If we put this in place in our lives, you're on that path to having pretty healthy relationships, at least as far as you are concerned. Treat others, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's the first thing. Here's the second one. Learn to be careful with your words. Learn to be careful with your mouth, with your words, what you say. One of the quickest ways to damage and or destroy relationship, a relationship is with our words. Some of us, me included, talk too much and think too little. Some of us are quick to speak and way too slow to listen. Some of us often use our tongue like a sword. We just cut people to pieces. 
and we hurt them, we cut them down. In my home, my dad was that way uh, with everybody, was particularly that way with his family, with his, my kids, my, um, my siblings, his kids, and my mom. And uh, he modeled that for me, and I, I became that way because that's what I saw in him. But he was very sharp, very quick, and could dance circles around just about anybody in any argument, especially an argument with my mom. And I can't tell you, hundreds of times, I'm not exaggerating, hundreds of times, I watched my mom and dad get into it, and my dad just cut my mom to shreds with his words, with his tongue. And he heard her again and again and again. My mom was an intelligent, caring, and giving person. But she was bruised and wounded over and over again by what came out of the mouth of my dad. Here's what the Bible says about this. Here's the way Solomon put it in Proverbs 12, 18. The words of the reckless pierce like a sword. The words of the reckless cut. They pierce like a sword, like swords. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. The tongue of the wise brings wholeness. It doesn't cut. It doesn't destroy. In fact, it brings wholeness and healing and strength to others. Reckless, thoughtless, painful, hurtful words pierce like a sword. They cut and destroy it, but the words of the wise bring wholeness and healing. Show me a relationship that's broken and dysfunctional, and I will show you a relationship that in large part has probably been damaged a lot by harmful, hurtful, destructive words. I had a friend quite a few years ago that uh, I challenged in this area in the way he talked with his wife. Laura and I would hang out with him as a couple from time to time, and it was always really uncomfortable. You've probably been in that situation before, but this is one of those, time, those situations where every time we'd get together and do something, he would just beat his wife up, not physically, but, but emotionally. And with his words, he was harsh, he was mean, he was always correcting her, he was always getting in her face, and it was embarrassing for us. We're just kind of hanging out with them, and they get into this thing, and, and he just ripped her, just cut into her all the time. And I told Laura one point, I said, that's it, I'm going to have to talk with this guy because it's, it's embarrassing to me and it's hurtful to her and I, I'm not sure he gets it. And I love this couple. And so I said, I'm going to take him out to lunch and coffee and we're just going to have a chat. Well, it ended up being coffee and we sat at a Starbucks and I said, brother, I want to, I want to ask you something. And I started this way because I thought I could dial up the feeling, the emotion for him. I said, have you ever been in a situation where somebody said something to you and you walked away just bleeding where your guts were just ripped out because of what somebody, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, my boss, and he went on. I said, can I, can I offer a suggestion to you? I said, we've watched, my wife and I have watched you again and again and again, over and over, treat your wife that way. What you say to her is harmful and destructive. Well, I tried to be as gentle as I could. I tried to speak the truth in love. I was trying to encourage him to change. And what I got was an earful and a very defensive reaction. And, in fact, what he said to me is, I've never said anything to my wife that wasn't true. And I'm like, well, that's a pretty big, bold, probably lie. <laughs> but I had in my, my briefcase, I had with me in my little backpack a devotional that I picked up about a week or two before that. And I'd read that very day. I just love the way God works. Coincidences are not so much a reality. God works. And I'd read that very day in this short little throwaway devotion book this, this statement about our words. And I said can I read this to you? And he said, yeah, whatever. And I did, and I'm going to read it to you just as I read it to him. Here it is. The space shuttle Discovery was once grounded, not by technical difficulties, but by woodpeckers. Anybody remember that story? Grounded by woodpeckers. The birds found the insulating foam on the shuttle's external fuel tank irresistible. The foam is critical to the shuttle's performance. Without it, ice forms on the tank, 
When it's filled with a super cold fuel, ice that can break free during liftoff and damage the shuttle. And the guy writing this devotion said, here's the lesson. Here's the point. Often our marriages, or you could say our relationships even, but our marriages are damaged not by big things like infidelity, abuse, or abandonment, but by little things like criticism, lack of respect, and destructive words. Pecking away at your relationship can destroy it. It can destroy it. Think about it's not that big a deal. I'm just staying the truth. Well, the writer goes on, and it was so appropriate because it's almost exactly what this guy said. He said, someone wisely observed, before you criticize your spouse's taste, remember they chose you. And you say, well, I'm just stating the facts. Oswald Chambers, a great author, great man, said, God never gives us discernment in order that we may criticize one another, but that we may pray for one another. So be careful what you say and how you say it. Oswald Chambers believes, and so do I, that God doesn't give you discernment or insight so that you can beat people up with how smart and good and wise and perfect you are, so that you can destroy them with your words. He gives us insight so that we can pray. Now, there may come a point where you do talk with them and speak with them, but how you do that is very important. The truth is, if your opinions are more important to you than people, and being right is more important to you than being relational, then you're probably going to end up damaging an awful lot of people in your world. The Apostle Paul wrote this in Ephesians 4.29. It's a scripture verse that we would do well probably to memorize or come back to on a regular basis. He said this, don't use foul or abusive language. The, the word picture there is stinky words, stinky language, foul, putrid language. Don't slime people. Don't puke all over people, if I were to put it in the 21st century common way. Don't do that. Instead, let everything, wow, what a challenge. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Paul says, don't be mean, don't be abusive, don't tear down. Instead, let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words can be an encouragement to those that are, are around you. I want you to imagine with me how incredibly healthy our relationships would be with our spouse, with our parents, with our kids, with our friends, with people we don't even like. But how incredibly healthy our relationships would be if we always practice this simple rule. Let everything you say be good and helpful and encouraging to others. Let everything. Now again, sometimes you're going to speak the truth in love. And Paul dresses, deals with that in Ephesians as well. But it's doing so in a way that really is for their benefit, not yours. It really is to build up, to encourage, to strengthen, to help them, to bless them. Imagine what your world would be like if everything you said to people in just one day, just today even, if everything you said would be good and helpful and encouraging. If you really want to avoid relational dysfunction, watch your words and don't be a woodpecker. Don't tear down, build up. Okay, one more way to, to help uh, avoid relational dysfunction, one more key to health in our relationships. Number three, develop the ability to handle conflict with grace. Develop the ability to handle conflict with grace. And it takes time. It's something you can develop. Here's a little insight for you. Ready? Here it is. Every relationship has conflict. Every relationship has conflict. Every couple I've taken through, premarital couple, I've always taken through a session where I talk about conflict. And I tell them, I look them straight in the eye. I said, I know you're crazy in love with each other now. I know you think you're never going to have a fight. You're never going to feel bad about that person. You're never going to want to say anything mean or hurtful or hard. But here's the truth. Every relationship has conflict. 
Every human relationship has tension, disagreement, and a measure of controversy from time to time. That's normal. It's normal. Some of you on the way to church today had conflict. And, and some of you, when you came in, it was so funny, I was watching people walk in in the back. It's like, where's my chair? Where am I going to sit? <laughs> and uh, a couple made a beeline for their spot. And that, but, they, but, you know, I'm sure there probably were at least a few. You sat down in your spouse and says, I don't like this place. This spot's not good because there's a pole in my way. And I got to turn my head too sharp for the screen. I mean, you know, I'm, and there was conflict. There was tension. Com yeah, some of you are laughing because that's exactly what you did. Conflict is normal. Struggle is normal. Guys, if you haven't figured that one out yet, please put that into your world. It's normal. The issue is how. How do we deal with that conflict? How do we work through it? How do we deal with it when it happens? Not if it happens, but when it happens. Now, this deserves an entire series. I'm going to bullet point some things rather quickly that I want you to think about, things that will help you handle conflict with grace. Here's the first one, letter A. Listen hard and don't overreact. Listen hard and don't overreact. There really is a reason. I know it's a cliche, but there really is a reason why God gave us two ears and one mouth. He wants us to listen twice as much and talk not nearly as much as most of us do. Listen hard. Listening is a skill that takes time to develop, and it takes intentionality. Now, a few of you are naturally good listeners. You're the kind of person that people just like to pour their you know, hearts out to and and you've all your life, you've, from the time you were in third grade and Betsy told you all her problems and, and you know, you're a counselor and that's what happened. Some of you are naturally that way. You have a supernatural or a natural gift of just having a good ear and people know you care and, and as you share, they listen and it's wonderful. But for the other 99% of us, <laughs> we tend not to do this naturally or don't do it very well. We tend to get preoccupied. We're... we're Supposedly in a conversation with someone while we're reading the newspaper or watching football on TV. And we think, guys, you think you can multitask. You cannot. Your wife, ask her. You just, she needs your attention because she knows you can, you're only good, maybe good at one thing at a time. And so she needs your attention. And yet some of us are, get distracted way too easy. I love that commercial, seeing that commercial on TV where this couple are out and they're having dinner at this nice restaurant and, and she's talking to him and, and he's pretending like he's listening. And something goes, yeah! And she's, what are you doing? Nothing. And he's got on his phone, he's watching football on his lap. Yeah, it's classic. Some of us get distracted. Some of us don't stop and give eye contact. We need to learn to nod and to give response and to acknowledge, yes, I hear that. And to restate when you hear something, is this what you're saying? And to mirror back so we can get really good at this thing called listening. And we need to work. If you want to resolve conflict with grace, learn to be a better listener. And learn to, this is key, this connects with this big deal, to underreact, not overreact. Now, I am a classic overreactor. Guilty. I, I'm a passionate sort of guy, and, and somebody cuts me off in traffic, you don't want to know what goes through my mind. <laughs> and I, I don't flip people off anymore because there's too many people to go to our church. I just have to be careful about that. <laughs> I don't even honk at people anymore, all right? Because sure enough, hi, Pastor Kurt. I know I wasn't honking to say Hi. I'm an overreactor. I have had to work on this big time. And I will probably have to work on this the rest of my life at some degree. Some of you are that way too. 
But what I've learned is it's way better, a lot better to underreact rather than overreact. To take a breath, step back, and think, well, wait a minute. Let me listen. Let me figure out what's going on here before I jump in and try and fix it or give my two cents worth. James 7, James 1.19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And I think that's the formula. Quick to listen, slow to speak, and therefore when you do those two things, slow to become angry. Listen harder, don't overreact. Let, let her be. Don't major on the minors. Don't major on the minors. Another way to put that is not every hill is a hill worth dying on, guys. Not every hill is a hill worth going to battle with somebody over. And we've got to decide what really is major and what really is minor. Not as major as we might make it. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to push some buttons. I, believe me, I know. I'm about to push a few buttons. I will get an email or two. It's brian at eastpointchurch.org. Just want you to know that. <laughs> kind of an inside joke around the staff. But anyhow, um, I, I, I had this mom come to me, and she was livid. She was so mad. She, I'd never, I mean, I've seen moms mad. I've seen my mom mad. I know moms get mad. But she was livid. She was angry over this. Now, she had a 19-year-old daughter. 19-year-old daughter. She's a legally grown-up, an adult and the goal is you raise your children so that they become adults to make their own decisions. You know they're going to make mistakes. You know they're not always going to do what you want. By the way, parents, as you've got little ones, as they grow older, it doesn't get easier. It gets harder. And then when they grow up, you want it's really, really hard because you have no control. And, and now it's like you just pray and, and try to give advice when they ask for it. But anyhow, this mom came to me and she's just livid, unbelievably angry over her daughter because her daughter got, here's where I push a button or two, ready? Her daughter got a tattoo. And her, she had very, very strong feelings about tattoos. In her opinion, tattoos were evil. In her opinion, they were uh, wrong and that the Bible says not to do that. Now, let me just insert here. This is where I'm going to push the buttons. The Bible doesn't say you can't have a tattoo. And you think you know which passage teaches that. You bring it to me and we'll have a chat. I study the Bible. I guarantee you. The Bible does not say tattoos are wrong. Not there. Not going to find it. And I know. Come see me. I'll show you. But you, maybe you don't like them. Maybe you've got a problem with them. Maybe you think they're ugly. Maybe you think they associate you with the Harley Davidson bikers. You know, so I don't know. But maybe you've got another problem with it. But the point, you're not leaving over the tattoos, I hope. The point is, the point is simply this. Listen, right here, right here. The point is, sometimes we make major things out of things that really aren't that big a deal. It, let me ask you the question. She threatened to kick her daughter out of the house. In fact, told her daughter. She told her daughter, I don't ever want you to call me mother again. Now, I don't know. Maybe you got strong feelings about tattoos. I'll pray for you. You can pray for me. I've got two of them. But <laughs> I really do. But I want you guys, here's the deal. Is it what's more important, being right or being relational? Making a, a major out of something that really isn't that big a deal in the grand scheme of things, someday she's going to get a new body anyhow in heaven. And it's, you won't have that probably unless God likes them too. I don't know. <laughs> Wouldn't that be cool? Okay, another issue. I know, sorry. I'm just imagining this tattoo booth in heaven. <laughs> Gabriel. Come here. I got a good one for you. All right. I know I'm in trouble. Yes, I know. I know. Brian at eastpointchurch.org. Like I said. But my point is sometimes we need to step back, guys. We need to zoom out. And we get all zoomed in. We look at something. And even if it, you have strong feelings about it, I'm not, that's okay. I'm not saying be a mamby-pamby, wimpy person. 
Uh, it's okay to have passion and belief and, 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 and ideas and ideals. That's all right. Values, yes, I applaud that you have values and that they mean something to you and, and that you try to communicate them to your family. But pick the hills you're going to die on. Choose the things that matter most. And I want to suggest that relationship is what matters most. Thomas Jefferson once said, in matters of principle, stand like a rock. In matters of taste, swim with the current. And I know the issue is, well, what's principle and what's taste? I get that. But I want to challenge you to not ma major on the minors and to always put relationships first. All right, letter C. Let's keep moving before I get more trouble. Letter C. Give others the benefit of the doubt. Give others the benefit of the doubt. That goes back to the golden rule. I used to work with a guy named Doug years ago. And Doug was cantankerous. He was a mean old he was mean, and he was difficult, and he was hard to work with, and I didn't like him, and I had a bad attitude about him, and, and uh, he didn't care, and I didn't care. It was just ugly. It was horrible. It was conflict all, all the time, until one day I found out something about Doug that I did not know. I didn't understand until somebody told me, did you know that his wife is an alcoholic? Not a recovering alcoholic, a raging off the wagon. He wrestled with this everyday alcoholic in his marriage. Did you know that he had chronic pain? There's something wrong with his hip. And that he lived every day of his life with chronic pain. I've got a bad back. And when my back goes out, I get grumpy. Anybody else know grumpy? When you, yeah. And that's what he lived with. And when I understood those two things, it changed a, a whole lot. It changed my attitude toward him. Sometimes we just need to give people the benefit of the doubt. And sometimes we need to remember that the issue is not the issue. Are you listening to me? Sometimes the issue that we think is the issue really isn't the issue. There's something else going on. Let's give people the benefit of the doubt. Do unto others as we want them to do unto us. One more, letter D, and this deserves its own message. We'll come back to this in this series as we walk through the series, somewhat simply required. But letter D, forgive as you've been forgiven. Forgive as you've been forgiven. When someone fails or disappoints you, and they will, be kind and gracious with others in the same way God has been kind and gracious with you. See, our relationships are a lot like the gears behind me. That's a visual to help you understand that in many ways, there's this connectedness we have. And when the gears are meshing, then it can be pretty sweet and it'd be pretty effective and pretty cool and be good. But when they're not and things get out of sync or out of joint or broken, then it gets pretty ugly. And when we refuse to forgive the people around us, even those who have terribly hurt us, then we're on that path towards dys dysfunction and brokenness in our relationships. And we need to treat them the same way God has treated us. Here's another little insight. Ready? I'm looking at a room full of idiots. We're, we've all failed. Every one of us. We've all made mistakes. We've all done stupid things. We've all let someone down along the way. We all share that in common. Maybe you've made a few. Maybe you've made a lot. I'm on the lot category. But we've all done it. And the quickest path to re relational dysfunction is to be harsh with and unforgiving of others. The quickest way to mess up the gears in a relationship is to be harsh, unforgiving of others in our life. When we jump on our high horse, we become a part of the horse that I really can't mention in church. <laughs> and it's not the way God meant. It's not what he wants for us. The better way is to practice what is taught in Colossians 3, and I'll finish with this. Paul said, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. I, let me insert this. What he's saying here is because of who you are, because of what God has done for you. Why are you holy? Not because you're so good, trust me. It's because he's good and because you have his holiness imputed to you. It's given to you as a gift from God. As God's chosen people, 
holy and dearly loved because he loves you. Clothe yourselves. Put on. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Five incredible words. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Paul challenges us, the word of God challenges us to love as we have been loved, to forgive as we have been forgiven, to remember that we have all made plenty of mistakes on our own, and yet God has been good to us. We have failed him 10,000 times, and yet God has given us his mercy. He has embraced us as his child. He's been kind and compassionate and merciful with us. And the challenge of Scripture, it's not Kurt. The challenge of the Word is be just like our Father. Love and forgive just as God has loved and forgiven you. Bow your heads. Let me pray for you. Father, your Word is always a challenge to me. It always rocks my world, God. And it is way beyond our natural ability to do this on our own. And so, God, I thank you that you've given us your Holy Spirit that you've given us each other, you've given us your word that encourages and challenges and helps us to become the, the men and women that you want us to be. Well, Lord, I pray that you would challenge us in this room today by your spirit to become more like you and to, to deal with the relationships in a way that is honoring to you and in a way, Lord, that brings healing and wholeness rather than destruction and death. God, I, I, probably every one of us at some level have, have experienced death and brokenness in a relationship. And we may not be able to fix that one, Lord, but I pray that you would help us become the people who would guard our hearts, guard our relationships, and keep them exactly where you want them to be, in your hands and in your heart. And that you would keep us, Lord, soft and pliable and tender towards you so that we would be changed and molded into the image of your Son and become more and more like you. I'm asking you to keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. Maybe you're here today and you've not yet begun your life as a Christ follower. And the Bible said, forgive as you've been forgiven by the Lord. And you're thinking, well, I, I don't know that I'm forgiven yet. I, and I'm going to tell you right here today, you, you can begin your life as a Christ follower. And it, you can, can begin your life as a Christian simply by acknowledging your need of a Savior, by surrendering your life to Him, and by embracing the free gift of salvation, the forgiveness that He offers to you right now. And I'm going to pray this very simple prayer. And if this is what you want and you're ready, you know you're sitting here today and you know in your knower, I need God, I need a Savior. I want that grace. I need that forgiveness. Then just make this simple prayer yours right now. Father, forgive me. I have failed you. And I need a Savior. I need grace. I need mercy. I need your forgiveness. And so right now, I thank you for what you did for me. That you died on the cross for my sins. That you paid the penalty for my sins. And I embrace that, that sacrifice I accept that payment on my behalf. And I stand in my heart before you right now thanking you that you've chosen me. And right now, right here today, I choose you and I offer my life to you. Now, if that's you and that's your desire, just say, yep, God, that's me. I need you and I want you. And that prayer, that, those words, those are my words. And the instant you do, the Bible says you become a child of God. You become a part of his family. You're forgiven. Listen, you're forgiven because of what God has done through Jesus for you. Lord, thank you for that truth. 
for those making that decision right now, burn that into their souls. Show them what it means. And lead them on in your path. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Ushers are going to come. We're going to take our offering this morning. Uh, this is the opportunity for you to put that tear-off tab, a prayer request, or your visitor card in there. If you do that as well. And let's give to support what God is doing because we love Him. But listen, listen to me. We're going to finish with this song. It's one of my favorites. And it's a sloppy song. It's a messy song. It's a tear-jerking song. I almost always cry. But it reminds us of the love of God for us. Let's sing this. Remind, be reminded right now of the love of the Father for us. Let's sing it. I'll come back. Listen, if you have began your life today as a Christ follower, tell somebody, you'll make their day. Let them know. Back of the tables to the right as you walk out. There's a back that says for new Christians. Pick one of those up. Our team will be down front. There's community on both sides of the room as we always have. If you're really tall, watch your head on the screen. And go. Go walk in the love of God this week, loving others just as He loves you. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming.